Psalm 46.10 says to us, Be still to know that I am God. And we've been talking for three weeks about this whole thing of learning to listen to God. That one of the problems we have so often in our world is we have so many things going on, so many things that cause us uh, to fill up our time, our space around our lives, that we seldom hear the voice of God. Uh, we often say, I wish I knew what God's will was, is for my life, but the problem is, is we do all the talking and we never listen. Uh, and in premarital counseling, one of the things I do, and I've been doing a lot of that recently, we have a lot of weddings this year, and uh, I've been doing a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the things I talk about is the whole thing of communication. I ask couples, uh, one of the questions I usually ask them is, you know, what is communication? What is good communication in a marriage? And they'll start talking about talking and, you know, talking to this person, talking to that person. But I say, hold on a minute. A good definition of good communication in a marriage is not about talking. A definition is listening with understanding. Listening with understanding. Listening so that you can understand what the other person not only says, but what the intent of the words is. Uh, listening in such a way that you could feed back to that other person what it is that they just said so that you could not necessarily agree with it. You know, and marriage, I found I've been married as of July 2nd. Well, July 2nd, excuse me. August 2nd. Let's try it. Get it right here. Okay. Uh, August 2nd. We've been married 30 years. Uh, and I found out that as, as great a marriage as my wife and I have, that we don't always agree with each other. Well, wow, isn't that amazing? Uh, not surprising, though. But one of the things that we have to practice is learning to listen, learning to listen to our spouse. We need to learn to listen to God, and so we can know what God wants us to do, what, who God wants us to be. Uh, I love this quote from Pascal. He says this, The sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he doesn't know how to stay quietly alone in his room. I love that quote, you know. One of our problems, the reason we're so unhappy, he says, is because we don't know how to stay quietly alone in our room. We have to fill up space with everything. I found it interesting this week, you know, life gives you the best illustrations. I don't have to go ahead and even look for them. They just pop, fall in my lap. And I, I was reading on yesterday's paper, uh, I don't know if you saw in the Journal Star in the Faith and Value section, uh, there was a thing on spiritual destinations. It was talking about this whole thing of how people in our society today, because of the, the impact of all these, you know, just the craziness in society, is starting to seek out more than ever before places. Instead of going on vacation, they're going to places where they can be quiet and be still. And it talked about this place in, Phil, in Pennsylvania where you can go and, and you can, you know, and this is not even necessarily for religious people, it's just for people who are stressed where they can de-stress and they can be quiet there as well. But it also talked about that's happening amongst religious communities as well, not just uh, monks, okay, but amongst people who are generally stressed in life and they're trying to find ways to de-stress. And it's interesting because in our world we have stuff around us all the time. We have mastered, in a real sense, we have mastered uh, not being alone. Uh, I was at the mall a few days ago, uh, and I don't like going to the mall, to tell you that. I'm not a shopper. I'm a hunter, you know. I knew I needed a couple of shirts, and so I went and hunted for them. I bagged them and went home. And um, But on my way, on my hunting journey at the mall, I happened to be walking through the mall and on the second floor, and it was interesting. I, just started, I observe people a lot when I'm just walking. I try to kind of be aware of what people are and stuff. And it was this group of girls. They were probably like 12, 13-year-old girls. It was like six or eight of them. I can't remember how many exactly, but it was a group of them. And it was interesting because they obviously, I guess, were kind of together. 
And they were walking around the mall between places. But the interesting thing was is they weren't talking to each other. Because every one of them had their phone out and was texting. Now, that's going crazy texting. And every once in a while, they would, you know, look at each other and grunt or, you know, the guys do that. But, uh, but they were, they really weren't communicating. They were obviously friends. They were going through, they were together, but they weren't together. I don't know if they were texting each other or not. That'd be kind of absurd. absurd. You know, they're next to each other. You know, why you can't just talk, I don't know, but, uh, strange, but, but true. But finally, finally, one of them says a coherent sentence. And I wasn't following him around, you know, because I just had to be walking behind him. I wasn't stalking him or anything. I just thought it was weird. You know, the girls walk like for 10 minutes through the mall, never really talk to each other, and they're texting or calling or talking, doing stuff. And finally, one of them looks at the other one and says, I'm bored. That was their coherent sentence. And I'm going like, we have mastered in our world this whole thing of never being alone, but we sim- tend to be lonely. In the midst, we, we find ways of filling up all the spaces of our life, the quiet spaces of our life. You know, even in worship, I thought about this morning, you know, uh, we, we have very few, we don't have any quiet spaces because we don't like quiet too much, you know. And, and, and I think that's all right in a place like this that we don't, uh, we not maybe practice that as much, but it's something we need to practice in our lives alone because we need to understand how important it is in us because Jesus himself practiced this whole thing of solitude, of getting alone, and of silence, of not speaking for a period of time so that you could communicate with God. And, and we need to learn to communicate with God and listen to what he has to say. In Mark one thirty five, it says this. This is just one example of multitudes in Scripture. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And there's numerous places. You know, Jesus, before he was to go into his public ministry, he spent 40 days out in the wilderness in solitary, in a solitary place, preparing, listening, just being quiet. I'm sure he didn't talk 24-7. He was just being quiet, preparing himself for what God wanted him to do. And not only did Jesus practice this whole discipline of solitude and silence, but he also he, he told us to do it. Because you remember in, in Matthew chapter 6 when he teaches us how to pray? In the New International Version it says this, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But then he says this, But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, you know, if you really, the first thing, before he tells them anything about what to pray about or how to pray or anything else, he said, he talks about the location and the attitude of prayer. The attitude of what we were doing to connect with God. And he says, we need to get alone. We have mastered this, and we think so often in our world today what happens is is that we're in this multitasking mindset that if I'm not doing something, two things at one time, then I'm not redeeming the time. And we'll say, well, you know, I can pray and drive, hopefully with our eyes open. Or I can pray and, 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 and exercise, or I can pray and do this, or I can pray. I found out the other day it's really hard to pray and walk. I was out at, at Forest Park uh, Nature Center. 
on Thursday practicing solitude and silence. Nobody else was out there. They're not foolish enough in 92-degree weather to go out and, and hike. But I did it. I, it was a great day to be alone. Nobody was out there. And so I was walking, and I was type praying with my eyes open and thinking about stuff and talking. And, and all of a sudden, I trip over something about fall down the hill, you know? They're saying, well, that's not me. I'm more coordinated than you are, Bill. But, you know, the reality is that so often we can't focus. And so I had to start focusing on walking correctly and watching where I was going. And so sometimes I only focus on what God was doing. So sometimes we just have to get alone, and we have to understand that's important in our lives. Jesus says, he says, don't, he says, you know, it's all right. So often what our, where our prayer becomes is kind of like these random petitions to God. You know, God, you know, I'm at the mall and I'm looking for a parking place. God, please give me that sweet parking place right next to the door. God doesn't care about that. Uh, and or if you get one, that's great, you know. But uh, or God, you know, do this for me or do that for me. And, and petition is part of our prayer life. But Jesus is trying to say to us, there's much more to prayer than just asking for stuff. And this whole thing of learning to listen, of solitude and silence, is so important for us to get beyond just the petition part of prayer. So Jesus tells us, no, no, when you really want to pray, when you really want to connect with God, you have to, first of all, you need to shut it all out. Go into your room, close the door, shut it all out. He wants us to know that prayer is more than a random request throughout the day. Jesus understood this, this concept that, that solitude and silence was something that would help us to grow in our relationship with God. Now, I love, uh, is sometimes it's good to read multiple translations of something in Scripture because you get a little bit different slant of it. It's not like it changes, but just the way the writer uh, in, interprets the words or something. So this same passage of Scripture in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, that we just read out of the NIV, in the message tells us something that I love. I love the way it, it, it talks. It says this, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Now, you get a different feel from that passage than you did at NIV. The other NIV told us, you know, it's important to do this. Here it talks about this whole relational component that if, if we're never secluded, if we never have time alone with God in a secluded place, we're in danger of beginning the process of not only trying to uh, uh, fool... We, we can always put on theatrical productions with other people. We can fool other people. Is that true? Yeah, you can fool anybody. You can't fool God, though, and we try to do that sometimes if we don't get along with God because we're distracted in our connection with God. We're not really focusing our attention on what God wants us to do. I have found in life when I'm trying to multitask and do so many things at one time, I'm prone to drift into all kinds of things that I shouldn't be drifted into. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Basically, don't multitask so much that you get lost in just the culture and just kind of go, go with the flow. It's not saying that culture is wrong, but we have to weigh things. And if we don't slow down, we don't have the opportunity to weigh things. Then he says, instead, fix your attention on God. 
You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings, out the, best, brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. You know, if we don't slow down and listen, we can never hear what God wants us to do. And we never be what God wants us to be. There's a great example in the Old Testament of a guy who you would probably call uh, uh, an astute businessman. This guy probably, uh, he had a plan for everything. He had a, he had a scheme for everything. And, and what happened so often in life was he, he found himself, uh, uh, you know, always plotting and scheming even against his own family. But he had a business. He was the kind of guy that probably went to the, you know, as he flew out of the airport, he always picked up a book at the bookstore, the newest book on business management. He knew them all. He'd read them all. He knew everything about everything that was going on. And he was, he was a sharp guy. But he had a problem. It was all about him. His name was Jacob. And Jacob in the Old Testament, if you read over in Genesis chapter uh, chapters 30, 31, 32, you begin to get this feel of this guy named Jacob. Jacob was the guy, if you don't know who he was, Jacob was the guy who, uh, who literally, he had a, he had a twin brother. And his twin brother was born just moments before he was. And in that society, that meant that that twin brother, that older brother, Esau, was the one that would, that would get the inheritance from his father. And so Jacob, as a young man, schemed uh, with his mother, that, that's really, really bad, to cheat his brother out of his birthright, out of his, out of his inheritance. He started at an early age learning how to be a schemer, how to be a plan, how to manipulate things in life. Matter of fact, his name, Jacob, means deceiver. And in that day and age, you were named on purpose. Your name meant something. It wasn't like, oh, I'm Bill. How are you doing? No, when you said your name is Jacob, everybody knew, oh, deceiver. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That's kind of tough. I don't know about that. But, that, but obviously, uh, God kind of let them to name him that way because they knew what he was going to be. Or at least he grew up to, to fit into his name. But that's the kind of person he was. And then we see some things that happened. He, he cheated his brother out of his birthright. And then he worked for this guy named his, uh, his uncle named Laban. And, and he had a plan to get the girl of his dreams. Her name was Rachel. And he said, I'll work for seven years. And then today in the seven years after I work for you, you get, give me, you know, it's kind of a bartering system in that day. Even marriage was. But the, 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 the uncle didn't do exactly what he said he was going to do. And so he got somebody else because it was an older sister. Uh, just a long, complicated story. And then he schemes again to get, finally get Rachel. And after working another seven years, he gets this girl of his dreams, Rachel. His whole life is full of scheming and planning and multitasking and trying to control other people. And then in Genesis chapter 32, verses, uh, chapter 32, he comes to a crisis situation in his life. Remember, years ago, in this chapter, years ago, he had cheated his brother out of his birthright. His brother was kind of the brawny, kind of the, the, the manly guy, you know. Jacob was the scheming guy. Uh, Esau was the, was, the, was the tougher guy. And so what was getting ready to happen was is he was having some issues and he needed to go back and kind of reconcile with his brother. But he's going like, oh, my brother is going to kill me. Literally. And so he begins to scheme about how he can uh, come, come to his brother and, and make things right. And in, in verse 22, 
of uh, chapter 32 of Genesis, it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of the river, the Jabbok River, and after he had sent them across the stream, all, all of his family, he sent all, also all of his possessions. All of his possessions. So he sends everything ahead of him across the river where his brothers... And then he says this, and it says in verse 24, So Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. I mean, he was like, for the first time in his life, he didn't have any stuff around him, he didn't have any distractions, he didn't have any family, he didn't have anything around him. He was totally alone. And then something significant happens in Jacob's life that really sets the tone for the rest of his life and really tells us something about why it's so important for us to understand the significance of being alone with God and learning to listen to God. Because God did a couple of things to Jacob. It says in uh, verse uh, 24, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched out as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, Jacob was always about the blessing thing. But the thing was here, and we know this and we understand this from Scripture, that this was either God or a, or a messenger of God who literally, and we don't know if it was literal or figuratively, that he wrestled with God. Jacob was wrestling with God here at this place. And then two things we learn here that come out of this, this episode. Verse 27, and the man asked him, what is your name? Now, if, if it had been me, I'd say, oh, my name's Bill. That's all it meant. You know, if you, you know your name's Steve, your name, you know, whatever your name happens to be. And in our society, that doesn't mean anything. But what he was asking him to do was to identify himself. And by identifying his name, he was saying who he was. He was identifying. So for the first time, he had to really look down and say, hey, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the manipulator. That's who I am. That's who I've been. See, the first thing that happens when we finally get alone with God, and this is the part I think that we're so afraid of sometimes. I think this is why in our society we're so afraid of being alone and just really listening and being quiet and still. is because when we really get alone, quiet and still, and we're really serious with God about literally listening and not talking, God begins to reveal who we really are. He begins to reveal our motives and our desires. I can tell you years ago, and this happens all the time, I can tell you some other episodes. I thought about something that happened last week, and I thought it was a little too personal. I'm not going to tell you that one. But um, it was a parenting episode. Um, but um, and none of you ever have problems parenting, right? Okay, okay. But, um, but something that happened a few years ago, about eight or nine years ago, before we came here, is that we were to struggle. Vicky and I were, were praying together that uh, God would just lead us. We felt like we needed to be moving on to somewhere else. We'd been at the previous church for 13, or at that point, about 11, 12 years. And we, you know, we felt like our, the effect of ministry there just wasn't, you know, God wanted us to be somewhere else. And so we began to pray. And we began to pray, God, show us where to go. And for a long time, for like a year, nothing really came up that really seemed really good. It really didn't fit who we, you know, I didn't want to leave where I was for that. And I began to ask myself, okay, God, you know, I really am serious about this. So I began to do some things after the end of that period of time. I began to, I spent two weeks fasting. 
and, and just praying to God and asking Him some stuff. And finally, I did something really bizarre. I went on this thing called a gathering of silence. I went on a four-day retreat where all we did during the day, and I did this four times over a two-year period. I did it once in the spring, once in the fall for two years. And I began to, what it was, this gathering of silence was a place where a bunch of ministers would go up into a, uh, into a, a camp area up in the mountains of Virginia, right next to the Blue Ridge Parkway, right on the Appalachian Trail. And what we would do is like, like 15, 20 of us, 20, 25 of us, something like that. And we made a vow of silence from breakfast to dinner every day. And then we'd get together at night and decompress and talk about what our experience was during the day. That meant when we got together for breakfast, they had a, the room about this size, and we had tables all over the place, and they'd serve our meal and head over there. You walk in, you would not talk. Have you ever gone to a room with 20 people, eating a meal and not talked to anybody? Crazy. And for the first day of the first time I went on that retreat, man, I was like a caged animal. I was going around, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, I didn't yell at that way, but that's what I was thinking. And I was going around just, just, just frantically thinking. And see, there's no TV, there was no cell phones, there was no computers, there's none of that up there. Whoa, that's kind of risky. No, it was wonderful. And what happened was during that period of time, that first time I went up there, I began to get up, I went up on a mountain, I, I hiked up to, on the Appalachian Trail, I found this rock about half the size of the stage, and I sat there overlooking the valley for a whole day, with nothing but my Bible and a lunch. And I began to just read scripture, and then I just, just was quiet. And I began to ask the question of God, I said, God, I want to know what it is you want me to do, and I want to listen, I really, really, really want to know. And before he could tell me what he wanted to do, though, he began to reveal who I was. And he said, you know, you have not been honest with me, Bill. You've not been totally open to me. Because all you've been doing is praying. You've been saying, God, I'll, God, lead me anywhere. But we had some stipulations on our prayers. Our prayers were, God, lead us anywhere as long as it's south and it's warm. You know? We were totally open to God sending us to Florida or to Texas you know, maybe even California, as bizarre as that is. You know, and I, and I was going, anywhere warm. Because, you know, that's where God's work really is. <laughs> and I got a contact during that time of a church from Orlando, Florida, and I was going like, oh, yes, God. It was, I just had no peace about that one. Then I got a contact from a church in El Paso, Texas. Sound like a great location. I didn't know where it was. But I uh, found out it was on the other end of the world. And um, it's actually closer to L.A. than it is to Houston. Tell me how that works. Um, but it's just a crazy... But anyway, we went through this whole process. And, and in the process, I realized God was saying to me, Bill, you're not open to me. You're not open to my will. So and, until you decide to be honest with me and open with me, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to open any doors for you. And see, that's what happened with but the first thing God will do when we listen and when we're quiet and we come before him and we're really honestly open to him is we, he will begin to pull away the layers of stuff that's going on. He'll say, hey, no more pride, humility. No more about being served, but serve. That's what he did with, with Jacob. He revealed who he really was. He said, yeah, you've been a deceiver, Jacob. This is who you are. You first have to know that. And then the second thing he did 
is in verse 28. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. He renames him. Israel means uh, you str- one who has struggled with God. He redefines his identity. See, before God can redirect our life and change us and redefine who we are, what he has to first do is he has to peel away the garbage and the stuff that's there that causes us to be not useful to God. And the only way we can do that, and Jesus knew this, that's why Jesus spent so much time, that's why he spent 40 days in the wilderness preparing himself for God to be used by God. That's why he constantly went away and was quiet, and he went to places that were solitary. Because he knew he couldn't hear the voice of God, not literally hear the voice of God, but couldn't hear God speak for the circumstances of life and through his scripture and through all the prayers and stuff. He couldn't hear God if he was, had all this jumbled stuff outside of himself. And I've discovered that in my own life. That happens so often. God redefines our identity when we get silent with him, when we get alone with him, when we learn to be quiet. So that's why Jesus said, when you pray, don't just multitask. Don't just add it on as another thing on your list. He says, no, go into your closet. Get alone. Be quiet. So you can know. Be silent and know that I am God. I love the quote from, uh, I think it was a worship leader. I, I heard this a while back, uh, him say this, and I thought it was a great thing about this. He said this, he said, Solitude is space that we create for God to shape our identity. Solitude is space that we create for God to shape our identity. You know, if we are never silent and never quiet, and never calm down, as hard as it is, it's literally impossible for God to to really speak to us, to begin to reshape us. You know, our mission statement here at Great Oaks is this, helping people take their next step towards God. Everybody here, including myself, has a next step. It may be a small step, it may be a big step. But the issue is you can never know what that step is unless you get quiet before God, not just talk, 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 talk. But listen, because God wants us to understand clearly. He wants us to understand clearly the whole thing of why it is that, what it is that we're, what he wants us to do. And we can't do it if we're all the time talking. So solitude, it's a discipline that requires us to physically get away from the distractions and actively shut out all the things that cause our thoughts to wander. You know, when I was up on the, up on, uh, in Forest Park, uh, is that what it's called, Forest Park? Yeah, okay, I keep getting it wrong because there was a place in Virginia called Forest Oak, and I keep naming the wrong place. Okay, Forest Park, when I was up there the other day, nobody else was up there, and I found this place down on the Valley Loop Trail, and I was down there, there was this bench down there you could sit on, and, and I was sitting there, and there was nobody else around. And when I was walking, I didn't hear as much, but when I sit down all of a sudden, and I got really quiet around, I started hearing all kinds of things that I never thought I'd, I didn't even know was going on. I mean, you know, there was a nice little, there was a little, Creek running down through there. It was real quiet though. I, I didn't hear it until I calmed down. And then I heard something that just irritated me. I heard cars. And I'm going, I'm in the middle of a nature preserve. I don't know if I'm supposed to hear cars, but I, they must have been up on Prospect or somewhere. But I started hearing cars. They were in the distance, but I started listening to things that were there that I'd never heard before. See, that's the way it is with us and God. Until we calm ourselves down, until we start really listening. You know, the stuff is there. God's talking. 
He wants to say to us stuff in his word. He wants to, to change who we are. He wants to begin to mold us. But until we calm down and listen to God, we can't hear. Philip Yancey said this, I, I love, he's a writer, and he said this, the irony is that Jesus, the real Messiah, is the only one who never had a Messiah complex. You know what a Messiah complex is? Most of us have it. We just don't think we do. We do have it, though. The Messiah complex is this, is, it's, it, this I, have to do, I have to go do this. Uh, everything depends upon me. If I don't do this, it won't happen. The motto of a, of, a, of a person with a Messiah complex is this, if it's to be, it's up to me. You know, and that's why we get so crazy in life. We think, you know, I bet you, I can guarantee, almost guarantee this, if you would knock out 98% of your, of your schedule, nobody would notice. We're not as important as we think we are. Of all the extraneous things that are, if you just did the basic things you need to do in life and not do all these other things and not do 45 things and not fill up your schedule, you probably would not even be noticed. Life would go on. You know, when I went up to, to, to Forest Park on Thursday, the church went on. I turned my cell phone off, actually. I told my wife I was going to leave it on, but I didn't. I lied. No, I just didn't want to, for a while, for a couple hours there, I decided I was just going to calm down and listen. I didn't want anybody calling me and saying, oh, yeah. And guess what? The world went on. You see, the, the thing I, when I read Scripture, Jesus was never in a hurry. Let me ask you a question. This is, this is not a rhetorical question. This is a real question. Do you think that Jesus had an important job? Maybe the most important job anybody's ever had on this earth? I would say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, savior of the world. You know? Pretty important job. If Jesus, who had the most important job ever, if you read Scripture, never seemed in a hurry, people would say, hey, Jesus, I need you to do something for me. Guess what? And he, you know what he would say? He'd say, sure, I'll get to it. And he wasn't ignored him, but he on the way. He would never be hurried to get there. You know, when his friend Lazarus, you know, he was dead, and he said, you know, he took a couple days to get there. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be calm. And, and Lazarus' sisters were freaking out, and everything was going crazy, and they were going nuts because they had to do something. Like we do all the time. Jesus was never in a hurry. And I believe that Jesus was never in a hurry because he was so in touch with his father and he spent so much time alone listening to what God had to say that he, in a real sense, what happened was he knew who he was and he knew what he was supposed to be doing and he was so focused that in life he was able to say yes and no to things very easily. See, when we get alone with God, God not only defines who we are, but he also defines what we're to do. And it gives us a grid. You know, it's, it, he doesn't want us to do everything. We can't. He just wants us to do the best things he has for us. The blessing of solitude is that it creates a sense of security and a sense of confidence about our day. It gives us the ability to focus and to be still and to have peace in the midst of all the chaos of life around us. Solitude is space that we create for God to shape our identity. 
I guess the question from Scripture today is this. Are you creating those spaces? On a daily basis, are you creating the spaces in your life where you just, just be quiet for a few minutes? Jesus seemed to do it on, alone every morning. He seemed to kind of spend some time kind of getting alone with God so that he could focus his attention and let God speak to him. And so when he went out into the day, he was able to say yes, no, and in the midst of the chaos around him, he was able to live a, a, a whole life. Are you doing that on a regular? If, if you're not doing that, that would be the first place to start, to begin the process of creating space in your day, some small spaces, just to not only to read Scripture and to pray, but to listen. Now, that's going to be freaky if you've never done it. Because it's really hard. You know, if I had come out here this morning and in two minutes, you would have think, thought that was, and I didn't say anything, you would have thought that was the longest two minutes of your life. I could guarantee it. I came in here and tried it this morning before anybody else got here. I came in here and sit in here and time two minutes. I'm going, wow, that's forever. Nothing was going on. I could hear the air conditioning going. And that was about it. But God wants us to create space in our life for him to shape our identity so that we can know who he is and also who, so we can know who we are in him. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.